0: I hope you all had a, a wonderful Christmas, uh, hopefully with family or friends or uh, just being able to share time with the Lord. I, I think that's that's so important. So we come to uh, the end of the year, though. It's, it's a time for me of reflection. And so it's a time when I like to bring that to the church. Not so much in what we're going to be doing uh, this next year, but what what our lives should be like as individuals. How about our spiritual growth and our relationships? What do we expect to happen in 2019? And it seems, uh, man, amazing to say that. Next year we'll be at 220, and uh, that's uh, going to be an amazing thing just to move into that next uh, decade. But I want to share a little bit about, uh, you know, setting direction for our lives. What do you plan for 2019? If you have no direction, uh, you probably won't go anyplace specific. Uh, you'll look at your life at the end of 2019, and you'll say, well, nothing changed here. I had a few ups and a few downs, and maybe I had some losses, and I had some gains, and... Uh, Not much. So I think it's important. I do have, I've talked about them before, some life change verses that I like. And uh, a couple of them come from Psalms 119. In the 9th and the 11th verse, it says, How can a young man, and I would say that that may be an older man as well, uh, keep his way pure? And it's by keeping it according to thy word. And it says, Thy word I've treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Well, if we're not treasuring God's word in our heart in 2019 chances are we're going to be wandering all kinds of places we shouldn't go. And we tend to uh, imagine what God wants rather than knowing what God wants. And so we find people that are talking about how churches are to love in this way and that way and accept this and that and do this and that. And sometimes it really isn't in keeping with the word. And so uh, thy word I have treasured in my heart. In in the 105th verse of that same chapter, it says... um, Your word is a light to my feet and a lamp unto my path. It gives direction to my life. And hopefully I didn't reverse those. But, uh, you know, I think it's so important to have that direction. In Romans, uh, it it gives us an idea of who we should be. Romans chapter 8. And I just want to give you some of my life change verses. Some of these that are important for me. And I hope they would be important for you as well. But in Romans chapter 8. In verse 28 and 29, it says, We know that God, this person we were singing to and singing about a little earlier, uh, the creator of the universe, the all-powerful one, the one who provides everything for us, the one who loves you, and he loves me. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. And I've had people just stop there. That's it. God calls everything to work together for good. That's not what the verse says. You've got to read the whole thing. It says, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. And sometimes I think we look at experiences and events in our lives and we say, how can this work out for good? And yet as we allow God to work, we realize that that's the case. Maybe we won't even see it until eternity. But certainly God does that as we love him and do his will says, for whom he predestined, or foreknew, I should say, he also predestined to become conformed. That means to be like the image of his son, so that we he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And as I look at that, one of the things that I pick up is if, if I'm conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, then he needs to be the one I want to be like. I want to be like Jesus. And I think that is so key that we understand that when we look at our lives, that there is something out there that we can pattern our life after. And that is the person of Jesus Christ. And that means we need to get to know him. We need to go back into the word and find out what it says about him and who he is. Another life change verse for me is found in Mark, the 12th chapter, in the 30th and 31st verses. And it says, you shall love the Lord your God. You know what? It's a great commandment. And if you've been here very long, you've heard me Quoted, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, everything you have. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more a little later. But I think that's important to understand that we are to love God. And do you know why we love him? Because he first loved us. You know, I think so often we look in the Bible and we talk about all the things we're to do. Do this and do this and do this and do this. And we forget the reason, and it's because God loves us that much. He loves you that much. We should never forget the fact that we are loved by God and that he cares about you and this, this being that created all things and he holds the worlds, <laughs> the universe in his hands. He measures it with the, the width of his hand is the one who loves you and cares about you and desires to meet your needs. And he desires for you to love him. And he gives us instruction and guidance for his glory, but also for our benefit. And when we understand that, then following through on what God wants is not hard. Loving your neighbors yourself, we'll talk about that. But it says uh, in 1 Corinthians 10.31, I'm sure you've heard me quote this one. When you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. My life should be lived in such a way that I glorify God. Eating and drinking are kind of mundane things, aren't they? We have to do those every day. I, I could, I, I would suggest he put him sleeping there too, but Paul didn't do that. He said, eat and drink, and uh, that, that includes the big things. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, there it is. It's all-encompassing. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is another one of my verses. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a holy sacrifice A living, holy sacrifice acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And then he says, don't be conformed to the worlds. Don't be conformed to the principles of this world. And people will try to make you do that, and sometimes they aren't in terms of the principles of God's word. Don't be conformed to the principles of the world, but be transformed, changed, made new by the renewing of your mind. And that means I need to be taking in those things that are going to change me, that are going to transform me. And that's what we're talking about today. Some of those goals that I think you should have and I should have for 2019 brings that about. It's it's something that's necessary. Romans 12, 1 and 2, and then Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. I call these my 1, 2, 1, 2 verses. Since then so great a cloud of witness Surround us. Let us lay aside every encumbrance, every every heavy weight, everything that slows us down, and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race is set before us. And then it says, you know the end, end mark? You know what you're going for the goal? Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising all that shame, and today he sits at the right hand of God. You see, you go back through those, and all of a sudden you write them down, and you begin to write alongside of them. What does that say about my life? What does that say about how I should be living? And it really gives purpose. I, I think it is so important that we have purpose for our lives. I want to talk a little bit about Paul as we get into this passage. And if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 9. And we're going to go down to the 19th verse and read there in just a moment. But when I think about Paul, here was an amazing individual. He wrote 12 of the, uh, the books of the New Testament. Uh, he, he planted numerous churches. He traveled around the Roman Empire, great distances, pre- presenting the gospel, seeing people come to know Jesus Christ, establishing them in that relationship. And when I look at Paul, here was a man that knew exactly what he was doing. He was an individual of purpose. Uh, too often uh, we struggle with that. I, I think of Paul's life, and he was purposeful even before he knew Jesus Christ. In fact, his whole thing was to persecute and destroy the church of Jesus Christ. That's what he wanted to do. And if you remember the story in Acts. He was on the way to Damascus because he'd gone to the leadership of the Jews, the Sanhedrin, and he'd gotten a letter so that he could go to this city, Damascus, and begin to persecute the Christians and bring them back. And he was on the way, and there was this bright light. And it was so bright that Paul went down to the ground, and and this voice said, Paul, Paul, or actually, it was Saul, was his name then. Why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, Who are you, Lord? (laughs) I'm Jesus. And you know, he did a U turn. His life totally changed, his purpose in life changed. And when we become Christians, that's what should happen to us. There should be a change, there should be a transformation. We need to have that same purposeful attitude. And as you read through Paul, he taught on how to have personal relationships, how to handle your emotions, your anger, your bitterness, your jealousy, worry. He taught how to have a fulfilled filled marriage. He taught how to have good kids, how to be a good parent. Uh, he gave instructions on how to function on the job. And, and, and here was Paul, and he gave us all of those things. Why did he do it? Why did he teach us those things? So that no matter what you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it to the glory of God. It all comes back to that. You know, is, is, is that our purpose? New Year's is just a, a great time to stop and evaluate, to look back, to check on where we've been. How did I do in 2018? There are some things I'm not happy with. There are some things that I go, wow, Lord, I did okay there. But I think more than looking back, because we tend to look at the negatives. We need to look forward to the positives. What does God want me to accomplish in the future? Yeah, I can see how I did back there. And maybe there are some things I should change. And maybe there are some things that aren't quite right. But, wow, where do you want me to be at the end of this year? What is my goal for 2019? Uh, that really is, is uh, it. I, I know there's that old saying, you all know it. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. Today's the lay, day that you can get a mulligan. That means engulf a do-over. You start fresh and you say, Lord, here I am. Lord, I want to do your will. I, I've had some good things in 2018. I've had some that weren't quite so good. But Lord, I want to start fresh today. I want to be where you want me to be. I, I, I want to look at my life at the end of this year, at the end of five years, at the end of ten years, at the end of, at the, end of the end, when someone's standing up and talking about me, I want them to say my life was a success for Jesus Christ because lives were changed, because people came to know Jesus Christ. Paul's commitment was to evangelism. That was his goal. I don't know what they'll write on my tombstone. Figure it out, babe. Whatever you want. Make it nice. But are we going to be successful? You know, the problem with success is we as as Americans tend to equate success with uh, material blessings, how much we have, how much we've acquired, how big the house is, what kind of car do we drive. And success really has to do with uh, accomplishing what you need to or want to by the time you come to the end. Another uh, synonym that goes along with that is victory. And uh, victory is a, a word we understand a little better in Christianity. I remember the very first time that I came to this church, Darlene and I came and we observed and we sat right down here in some pews. Uh, There was orange carpet. The uh, (laughs) stage didn't look like this at all. It came about this high and I looked like I was in a cave and it it went in so it was much smaller and this orange carpet and it had some splits in it and there were these pews and they were beginning to peel a little bit. We sat there. And we listened, and Laurie and Al were singing right back there. How come Jim didn't let you stand up with him? He took the show. He took the show. Okay, Jim was up here with his guitar, uh, Jim Lawson, and they sang Victory in Jesus. And you know what victory is? Victory is something that is, is immediate, really. You have victory in a battle, or you have defeat in a battle, but you may have success in the long run. You may win the war but even lose a battle. And the battle then is do you have victory or don't have victory. I thought about it in terms of sports. Uh, The Warriors right now, they have not been, during the tenure of the time that I have watched them since 1985, necessarily a victorious team or a successful team. But for the last few years, they've been very successful. And if you were to ask someone, is Steve Kerr a successful coach, they would immediately say, of course he is. And uh, he's done a great job. Does he always have a victory at the end of the game? No, in fact, recently he hasn't had a few. And uh, I've been a little disappointed watching the team as they've lost some of the games. Now, they did win the other night in Portland, but they lost to Portland the night before. Just to bring you up to date on where we are with the Warriors. I knew you'd want to know that. I did not watch the game last night. That's probably why they won. They won. Uh Stephen Curry is considered to be a very successful basketball player, but he doesn't win every game. He's not always victorious. And that's true of our Christian lives as well. We may not be victorious in every aspect of our Christian life, but if we walk with God and we focus on him at the end, we want to be known as someone who was successful in their relationship with their Heavenly Father because he loves us. He loved us first, and we want to have love him. And certainly Paul had those ups and downs, and, and he would have been considered, considering everything he did, a successful Christian pastor, evangelist. But he didn't always have success. Sometimes his victories weren't great. In fact, the one area that I thought of when I thought of Paul was when he first became a Christian, a man by the name of Barnabas brought him in. And, and Barnabas was known as the son of encouragement. That was what his name means. And, and he took him and he introduced Paul to all these different uh, apostles and the leaders in, in Jerusalem. And it was Barnabas that reached out to him first. But because there were some struggles, Paul went off to Tarsus. He went off to his hometown and Barnabas later on, because up in this place called Antioch, not the one next door, but up in Antioch, he went up there because there were Christians and they heard about this and and they sent him up from Jerusalem to kind of head up the church and see what was going on. And he got there and he realized, man, this job's too big for me. And he went and he found Paul down in his hometown and he, Paul, come on up here with me. And Paul went with him. And at first, when you read about it, it's Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, until it began to change to Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, he began to take the lead. They went out on this missionary journey. They came back on the way. Uh, when they first left, there was a young man by the name of John Mark. He was a nephew of Barnabas. And Barnabas says, let's take him. And Paul said, OK. And they went out about a third of the way. And I don't know what happened to John Mark, but he turned around, and went home. He didn't want to be there anymore. I think he was young. He probably got homesick. He said, I I want to go home. And so Paul and Barnabas finished their missionary journey. They went back to Antioch. They were getting ready to go out on a second missionary journey. And Barnabas said, let's take John Mark. (laughs) Paul said, no way. We're not taking him. To me, this is one of the areas, I would say, where Paul failed. There was not forgiveness. He didn't see that John Mark would be beneficial. And he said, let's leave him home. As a result, Barnabas and Paul split. First church split. They went different directions. Paul got Silas. Barnabas took John Mark with him. Paul took Silas. Went out, had a very successful second missionary journey. Very successful third missionary journey. Do you know, what do you know about Barnabas after that? Nothing. Nothing. Here was this man who was a leader in the church. He was sent to Antioch to lead the church, to get things established. He went and got Paul. He brought him up. They had a disagreement. They went their different directions, and we don't hear about Barnabas again. You know the amazing thing, though? We hear about John Mark because he wrote the book of Mark. And he then was thought of Paul as one that was important. And Paul said he wanted John Mark to be with him. What would have happened to John Mark if Paul, if Barnabas had said with Paul, you're right, we don't want to take him. We wouldn't have had some of the things that John Mark did for us or seen him as a success. And So when I look at that in that area, I think Paul was not victorious in that situation. I I would say as a man, he mishandled it, and he was a man, and we have to realize that. But he was successful, wasn't he? Because even one or two failures doesn't mean that you're not successful. But you pick up and keep going. And so I don't know what happened to you in 2018. You maybe didn't stay as faithful as you'd like. Maybe you're spending time with God in the Word. Maybe spending time in prayer Maybe you struggled with a relationship with somebody. It may have been something like that and you failed in that area, but it doesn't mean you can't be a success for Jesus Christ because you can. And God lifts us up and he leads us on. Well, I want to read this passage for you in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And let me begin with the 19th through the 27th verses. Uh, We're really going to be looking probably at, uh, for the next couple of weeks, at verse 24 and following, but let's begin with the 19th verse because I think it sets a tone for where Paul was and what was important to Paul and what he thought should be uh, looked at and, and done. So, beginning in the 19th verse, it says, For though I am free from all men, <laughs> I, I'm not a slave to anybody, I'm not a servant to anybody, but he says, I've made myself a slave to all. I, I have these freedoms, I have these liberties, but I made myself a slave to all for this purpose that I might win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. When I'm with the Jews I I, I live by the standards they have and to those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. (laughs) It wasn't that he was a hypocrite or wishy-washy, he had a purpose. And he did the things that were necessary to accomplish his purpose. That was to win people to Jesus Christ. To those who are without the law, he says in verse 21, is without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law to the weak. And that's not physically. That's individuals that cannot partake in certain things spiritually. They think it'll be a problem for their spirituality. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. And when I look at Paul, he was purpose-driven. He had a purpose, and that was to reach people for Jesus Christ. And he did everything that he needed to do but sin in order to reach them. Verse 24, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. (laughs) They then do it to receive a perishable wreath. Oh, but we as Christians and imperishable, therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body, I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. I will not lose out on the prize. And he's not talking about his salvation there. He's simply talking about the reward for living a life that pleases God. His goal was to win people for the Lord. And then as you look down in verse 24 to 27, I want to give you a four-point outline that we need to do. As I look at being in a race, how many of you were track people? number of you. How many of you ran? All right, most of you were runners. Uh, how many of you did just field events? Paul did both. I just lay in the high jump pit and watched the runners work. It was a lot easier doing what I did. But uh, anyway, as we look at running, the very first thing you have to do is you have to understand where the end line is. What is your goal? If you're running a 100-yard dash, you can look down that 100 that yards and you see the ribbon down there and you know where you're going and you better go as fast as you can or you're not going to win that. If you won the mile or the uh, 1,500, well, it's a little longer. So you're going to run pretty fast, but you don't run an all-out sprint to begin with, or you're not going to make it. But you give it pretty good, you know, when they're getting the mile well under four minutes now, down around 350, that's, whew, that's running fast. But if you run a marathon like David Bevilacqua, you don't start out at a all-out sprint, or at least I hope David doesn't, because you aren't going to make it. You need to know the end line. You need to know how far you're going. Let me tell you something. As Christians, when we begin to look at our goal, we aren't running a sprint. If you run a sprint and quit after you make the first hundred meters, you've got the rest of your life to go yet. And so we begin to um, consider that in terms of how we run and how we develop the race, and I I believe the very first thing you need to do in terms of the goals of your life for 2019 is just verbalize what they are. What do I want to accomplish December 31st? What do I want to be able to look back and see happened in my life? Verbalize it. Write it down. Um, I'm going to use a a notebook similar to this this year. I I have it at home. I didn't bring it. But when I do my, my Bible reading, I'm going to write down principles, things about God. That I know are important. Write them down. The second thing is you need to figure out how you're going to get to your goal. A runner plans his race, he knows how he's going to run it, he knows how he's going to have to work to complete it effectively and to be successful or victorious. And the third thing, you know what it is? Get involved with whatever you're going to do. I've met so many people that plan great plans. I've written out great plans on what we should do and what I should do and where my life should be. And a lot of people do that with New Year's. They write out what they want to do, and sometimes they don't even get as far as the plans. But they fail to get involved. They fail to complete or start the task. And you've got to get out there. You've got to be involved. You've got to be part. And then the final thing is finish strong. You know, I look in the Bible, and it's amazing how many kings... An individual started out well, and they failed. Solomon is the greatest illustration to me of one who started so well, and yet he failed. He did not finish strong. He didn't complete the task. I, I look back to the people that were Paul with Paul, and in Second Timothy, Paul was writing, and he was writing to Timothy to come to him soon, and he said, make every effort to come to me, 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 9, he says, For Demas, having loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Oh, Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. And here were men that when Paul was in jail seemed to walk away before they finished. We want to finish. Finish the course. Whatever you lay out, you need to complete it and and you need to know that, that you're going to be able to carry on. So we finish Well, we finished strong, and I'm going to have you just write those down, and I have enough here to get into this next one, that I'm going to come back to it next week, and I'm going to talk about how to get started. We need to know how we're going to get started and and how it's going to work so that we complete the task, and I'm going to give you some things that you may want to think about. I, I want you to think about Matthew chapter. 22 mark chapter 12 where it gives us the great commandment and it says love the lord your god with all of your heart your mind your soul your strength how are you going to be involved with god and loving him this year what's what's your priority you know we're going to start a study i gave it to you in your programs Two years ago, we started uh, reading through the New Testament. We completed that. Last, week, last year, we read through um, the wisdom literature, starting with Job and going on through to the book of Isaiah, just before Isaiah. Uh, this year, we're going to be reading starting with Genesis and going through Esther. And then we're going to skip to Isaiah and go through Isaiah to Malachi and it's going to take you a couple chapters a day, probably, five days, six days a week. And I really encourage you to be reading with us. Make that one of your priorities. But keep that little journal I talked about. And when you see something about who God is, man, write it down. When you see something about what God wants you to do, write it down. You know, I think of Joseph. Joseph was, a, was an amazing individual and... And we see the providence of God there. We see the sovereignty of God in Joseph's life. Joseph was the darling of his father. He gave him a beautiful long coat. It was kind of a princely coat. And I think maybe it was because he was supposed to have married Joseph's mother first. And he didn't. And he always wanted to have that relationship. And so Joseph was kind of his favorite. But his brothers sold him into slavery. And in slavery... Boy, Potiphar's wife, Potiphar was the head of the king's bodyguard. He was a a soldier of power and authority, and Potiphar's wife looked at Joseph, thought he looked great, wanted to have a relationship with him. He didn't want to have a relationship with her, and so she did a hashtag Me Too on him, even though it wasn't real. Joseph went to jail. Joseph served the Lord in jail. He ended up going out and taking care of the king, and he <laughs> he became the second most powerful man in Egypt. God raised him to that position. After his father died, his brothers had come into Egypt because they were as a famine, and he preserved his family, and uh, they were concerned. They thought, man, Joseph's going to get us now because of what we did to him back here, and they were fearful. They were anxious because of what they had done, and Joseph said, oh, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Do you see the providence of God there? God's plan works out, even though we go through hard times sometimes. And you look at your life, and when you go through those hard times, you just stop. So we need to get involved in reading the Bible, studying the Bible, prayer, making that a priority. Uh, I've heard people say, man, I don't know why God's not done better with my family, and I'm struggling with my wife or husband and struggling with the kids And you know they're not walking with God. The Bible says as you sow, so shall I you also reap. And if we're not sowing unto God, we're probably not going to reap the things that God wants to give us. And so we have to take that into account as we move into 2019. How do I change that? Uh, love your neighbors yourself. We read again into the idea of ministry. How does God want me to minister? What are some of the ministries that I can have to others? Maybe there are people that are going to have needs. Maybe we need to set something up that when some of our people can't take care of their place, we send some guys out to take care of it and do some things there and work with them. There are ministries like that, ministries around the church. I remember my father-in-law, when he came up from Southern California, had been working on the road crews in la all of his life he worked hard but it gave him purpose and he got southern oregon in 62 he retired mom said let's go to southern oregon (laughs) i think he wanted to too but they went and he didn't have any purpose he was just sitting at home he didn't like just sitting in the recliner so he went and got a job cleaning a bowling alley and then he said this isn't enough and so he looked at the church and he says you know what You need a groundskeeper, and he went and did all of the work around the church every week because he was retired, and he said, I have the time, but I need purpose. I need to be doing something that's a ministry, and that's what he did. Outreach. Boy, the the great commandment, go and make disciples of all nations. What does God want you to do in terms of, of where you live and who you relate to and sharing your faith? Very easy, you know, in in, in Matthew it talks about the fact that we're to be like a light on a hill. We're not to hide our light under a bushel. We're to be like salt. We're to season. We're to flavor the community, the culture in which we live. And yet it's very easy for Christians to hide their light under a bushel and just kind of stay with Christians. And we don't effectively reach out. We're going to talk about this a little more next week. Fellowship. Fellowship, we're going to talk about how to do that, too, because I think it's so important that a church has fellowship. Uh, we have a commonality. We build relationships. We're there to support one another. And uh, we get caught up with edification sometimes, with nurturing, with discipleship. we got to teach. Well, we do. Teaching is always to apply. If you're not applying anything, you haven't learned anything. That's what a guy by the name of Howard Hendricks used to say. <laughs> You're not really teaching if there's no application. And so we need to learn to study the word to apply it in our lives. And we're going to get into that next week a little more. So, uh, but fellowship, wow. Building those relationships with people that maybe have come into the church that don't know very many. how How do we do that as individuals? What do you take as a responsibility for yourself in terms of that? How can we minister to people? So next week we're going to, Continue on and I'll give you a little more on this and then we're going to go on into um, how to plan the race and run the race and finish strong. And boy, I keep looking at that. I want to be a strong finisher. I want to finish strong. I hope you are thinking about some of these things this week and how they apply to you and where it's going to fit into your life and how you can be involved there in terms of your lives and how you live them for the Lord. Uh, let's let's bow in prayer shall we father so much so much I wanted to share this morning so much I believe your spirit gave and we'll do most or a lot of that next week but father help us to to just get a handle on what it is you want for us as individuals in 2019 what is it that you want us to do with our lives I do know that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we're to do all to the glory of God. I do know that our lives are to be patterned after Jesus Christ, to be like him. I know that we're to be changed by the renewing of our minds. We're to get rid of those heavy things that are holding us down, that are keeping us from running freely, living freely according to your will. I do know we have to have purpose. And live our lives to fulfill that purpose. And so, Father, help us to understand those things as we go a little further in this. And we get prepared for 2019. Might you truly be glorified and honored by the lives of individuals in this church as well as this church corporately. This is your body, Father. This isn't ours. Brentwood Bible Fellowship is yours. We commit it to you even today. Once again, it is yours. And we are yours. We've been bought with a price. We are to glorify you with our physical beings. Help us to understand what that means. Thank you, Father, for loving us so much. Thank you for 2018 bringing us through us, even with some of the struggles and the stumbling that we had. But thank you for what we have for 2019 coming ahead. I know it's going to be great as we spend it in a relationship with you. Thanks, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.